Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, it's Mistress Carrie reporting for duty from MCHQ for episode 79 of the Mistress Carrie podcast. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Digital Federal Credit Union, better known as DCU. And so far this year, DCU has donated to 119 food banks and food pantries with total donations over $2.1 million. DCU's commitment to the community doesn't stop at feeding the hungry. They have passionately supported numerous school programs, hospitals, veterans organizations, and other worthy causes that are doing their part to help individuals and families in need. And veterans organizations provide important and ongoing support to the brave men and women who have served our country. And recognizing the special sacrifices that both our veterans and their families have made, DCU's goal is to honor and support our military heroes by continuing to fund new opportunities in the areas of health, employment, and housing through partnerships with local, regional, and national organizations. Giving back is central to what DCU does. And I know this because DCU and I have partnered together on several charitable initiatives over the years. And setting a goal and seeing it through is exactly what they do. You can learn more at dcu.org. Okay, before we get started on this week's episode, I just want to remind you that if you're doing some holiday shopping, there is an official online store at mistresscarry.com that's filled with cool merch. T-shirts, hoodies, beanies, pint glasses, coffee mugs, stuff to outfit your cool new home office, and so much more. Just log on to mistresscarry.com and click the shop link. Okay, I was so excited when I found out that guitarist Nita Strauss was going to be on the show. For the last five years, Nita Strauss has been Alice Cooper's touring guitar player. And she is seriously a shredding of force to be reckoned with. Born and raised in L.A., she has played guitar for Alice Cooper, Jermaine Jackson. She was in Femme Fatale, the video game supergroup Critical Hit, and also a member of the Iron Maidens. In 2018, Nita was officially announced as the first ever female Ibanez signature artist with her own signature model guitar the Ibanez Jiva 10. I caught up with Nita while she was on her tour bus on a solo tour. And you can definitely hear the sound check in the background. It was loud. And we had a chance to talk about everything. Songwriting, touring, Alice Cooper, writing her upcoming new solo album, her first single off that record called Dead Inside, featuring the one and only David Draymond from Disturbed, and so much more. And Nita is a total badass. I've never met her before, but everybody told me how freaking cool she is, and they were absolutely right. So allow me to introduce you to Nita Strauss. Hey, what's up? This is Sully from Godsmack. Strap on those boots, baby, because you are now in the trenches of the war room with the one and only Mistress Carrie right here on the Mistress Carrie podcast. What's up? This is Joe Rogan, and you're listening to Mistress Carrie. Her hair is so lovely. 
Hey, this is Brent from Shinedown. You're listening to Mistress Carrie. Hey, Carrie, go put your brow on, girl. Hey, this is Steven Tyler, and you'll be listening to the baddest bitch in Boston, Mistress Carrie. What's up? This is Aaron from Stain, and you're listening to Mistress Carrie. Hi, everybody. This is Dave Grohl from the Foo Fighters, and you're listening to the one, the only, Mistress Carrie. Hey, this is David from the band Disturbed, and you're listening to the baddest bitch in Boston, Mistress Carrie. Hi, Bruce Dickinson here from Iron Maiden. Yes, indeed. Miss Whiplash herself, Mrs. Carrie, is here to um, unchain your brain. Hi, this is Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. You're listening to Mistress Carrie. This is Dennis Leary. You are listening to my favorite, Mistress Carrie. Hey, this is Corey from Stone Sour, and you're listening to... You have the privilege of listening to Mistress Carrie. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. Nita Strauss! Ah, thank you for having me. Yes, thanks for coming on the show. Oh, it's such a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Um, You're out on the road right now, right? You're touring? Yes, I am speaking to you a little breathless. Just ran into the bus from Soundcheck um, in the beautiful Star Lounge of our tour bus. (laughs) So uh, it's definitely been a whirlwind, but uh, I'm so excited to be on the show and talk to you today. How has touring been after everything that we've been through in the last year and a half? What's it been like to get back out in front of the fans? Oh my God, it's the best feeling in the whole world. You know, it's, we all knew how much we missed it. You know, all the musicians, we all kind of had a, you know, we're like, man, you know, we love being out there. It'd be great to be back out there. But actually being here and feeling the rush, feeling the energy of, uh, you know, real people there in the room with you, not on the other side of a webcam, you know, how we've all been doing these live streams and, you know, different ways of connecting with fans during the last year and a half. There's just nothing that even comes close to being here in person. So we're very, very happy. I think we all learned that we take a couple things for granted, right? That we take our health for granted and that we took for granted the fact that we could all get together in big groups anytime we wanted. Yeah, I think so. You know, it would have never occurred to me, you know, before 2020 that there would be a time when people would be concerned, you know, like the vast majority of the population would be concerned about being in a large group of people for health reasons. You know, like it's it's wild. It's a wild time to be on the road, let me tell you. Did you spend all your downtime at home in L.A.? Uh, No, I spend my downtime. Honestly, really, I don't even even 2020 for me was not downtime. You know, we did so much. Um, You know, I I have a fitness challenge uh, called Body Shred. I released an online guitar learning course called Rock Guitar Fundamentals. Um, I finished recording my second album in Nashville. uh, And then we also split our time between New Orleans and L.A. So I've been I've been bouncing around a lot the whole time. It keeps coming up on the show over and over again. It seems like every artist I talk to has just finished or is getting ready to go to record in Nashville. And in every, like my idea of Nashville was always that it was this mecca of country music. And I am shocked over and over again at the amount of rock music getting made there. Yeah, it's wild. You know, when I started putting out there that I was recording uh, at at East Iris Studios in Nashville, you know, all the comments there, I was like, oh my God, you're going to make a country album? Like, no, I'm going to make the same kind of album I would always make. But, you know, Nashville is just, they call it Music City for a reason. There's so much other music there now. And like, yeah, there's a lot of country, you know, and a lot of blues. But some of the best rock and metal producers out there in the world are in Nashville now. So it's and it's a good change of pace too to get out of you know get out of your element and go someplace where you're only there to be creative. It's a good it's a good vibe. 
I had never been there until a few months ago. I went to a podcast convention down there. And uh-huh. I respect any city that loves live music as much as Nashville does. Totally. I mean, you can, go to, you can go to a place on a Monday afternoon and find an amazing band. Oh, totally. I tell this story all the time, but one time I was out on the road with Alice and uh, I had to walk to like a CVS, like just the most normal daytime errand. You know, I walked out of our hotel, walked, you know, 10 blocks or so to a CVS and there was a band playing in the park and it was a, like a total dad band, you know, like as a jogathon or something happening, you know, kids running in the park with numbers and this dad band was playing. And I had to stop and watch this band for like 15 minutes. Some of the best musicians I've ever seen. Incredible guitar playing, singing, drum solos, bass solos. Like even the dad bands in Nashville are better than like the band bands in most cities. One of the things that I did during the lockdown was I found myself down this rabbit hole of watching documentaries. And I watched the Hired Guns documentary and there's Alice talking about the caliber of the musicians that need to be in his band and how highly regarded you all are for your playing ability. And, you know, Alice has been around the block and when he's talking about, A, how good you got to be to get in his band and B, how much he supports you to go out and do your own thing as well, that's got to be a pretty special relationship that you have with him. It's an amazing feeling. It's, you know, it's it's such an honor, you know, growing up as a guitar player and a, a fan of guitar, I was always drawn to the caliber of guitarists that Alice Cooper had in his band. And now to look at that list of luminaries and see my name as the latest one, it's it's still very surreal. It's been almost eight years in his band uh, and it's still very surreal to me to see it. And I'm in Phoenix now, I'm in his hometown. I just got a text from his wife. They're gonna come see my show tonight. Like we are, truly truly a family in all senses of the word can you talk to me about growing up because um i know you grew up in la which is not a common thing you don't hear of a lot of people being from la what was that like for you growing up it's a great place to grow up as a musician because it's so competitive i think growing up as a los angeles musician really preps you for life outside of la because you see so many people you know being born and raised in LA you see so many people from other towns other cities other countries even that are the best musician in their town they're the best guitar player in Wichita Kansas and everyone goes oh you should go to LA and make it and then that the guy who's the best guitar player in the entire state of Kansas comes to California and all of a sudden realizes that all the best guitar players from all the small towns all over the world have all come to the same place for the same thing and so you go from being a big, uh, you know, big fish in a small pond to all of a sudden being in a very big pond with a lot of other big fish. Um, so I relish the fact that I got to grow up in that atmosphere because I think it made me better. I think it made me learn how to set myself apart from the crowd. Uh, it definitely made me into a better performer because that's something that I always knew that I could do. There will always be guitar players that can play faster, or can play more notes or whatever it is. But I know that nobody is going to outperform me. And I think that that just comes from growing up in such a competitive scene. Does music ability run in your family? My dad is a musician. Yeah. And all everybody on my dad's side of the family is all musicians. And uh, even on my mom's side as well, we have some guitar players some piano players, uh, a lot of music on both sides. 
What did you grow up listening to in the house? I have a theory about music that you grow up with the music, you get gifted by your parents, aunts, uncles, older siblings. And then there's a line in the sand where you discover a band, a song, an artist, and you go, no, 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 no. Now this one's mine. What was that music for you? Yeah, so I grew up with a lot of classical music in the house. Um, And if there was rock, it was like the Beatles, the Stones, Yes, you know, that kind of stuff. And then when I started getting into music, I first got into guitar music. So I was like super into Steve Vai, Joe Cetriani, like that kind of stuff, which my parents loved. And then I discovered like the more Swedish, like melodic death metal. I got very, very into like At The Gates, Arch Enemy, Dark Tranquility, like that kind of stuff. And which my parents were like a little less excited about. (laughs) Um, But one great thing about growing up in a family, you know, my dad was a touring musician for years and years. And I think a great thing about growing up in that atmosphere is they're more understanding of the different genres and different types. And, you know, my parents once listened to music that their parents hated. So now, you know, when I listen to music, they didn't like, they, they kind of got it, which was cool. Did you get gifted your first guitar? Did you ask for it? Or did you just pick up one that was laying around the house? So I started out actually playing drums um, first and foremost. and. I just never really gravitated to it. Um, And then I went from drums to playing bass because my best friend, like my childhood best friend had gotten a guitar and I was like, oh, well, if I play something else, we can jam together. And I never fell in love with the bass either. You know, just neither one really like, really piqued my interest enough. And then finally I got, my my dad got me the little, uh, it's called a Strat Pack. It's a little Squire guitar, the black and white Squire guitar. I think it's like a hundred dollars and it comes with like the guitar and a little amp and a handful of picks and a cable and like all this stuff, like extra stuff. Um, and that was my first guitar and I still have it to this day. And the first thing I did was take the white scratch plate off and put a black scratch plate on before I even learned how to play a note. So I've been customizing my guitars since the very beginning. I was going to ask you if you still had it. it. Is it something you still kind of pick up or is it like in a case on the wall in like the museum of Nita at home? Um, at some point it will be like that right now. Uh, you know, we've just moved recently, actually not that recent, but we're still sort of settling into the new place. So all my guitars, it's so funny. There's a room in our house, which, you know, we have a studio room, which is being built and that's being built out to be a proper studio. And then there's a front room, which will end up being like sort of an entertaining room. But right now it's just like a guitar gallery, like, and they're not even nicely displayed. There's just all my precious guitars from all these years, you know, from my very first guitars to the first of my signature guitar, the Ibanez Jiva, you know, to collector's pieces from some of my favorite musicians. And they're all just leaning against the wall. <laughs> like, it's really bad. There's nothing, A, worse than moving. And B, oh, worse. nothing better than having your own studio. Like, I built mine during the pandemic. And yeah. whatever kind of studio you're used to working in, They're never clean because it's the other people you're always around. And when you have your own, it's like, oh, this is the cleanest studio I've ever worked in. Oh, it's so nice. And everything's always right where you left it. You know, like I like with my little desk in my home studio now, like my phone charger is always plugged in. My cables are always where I need them. If I need, you know, a pick or a tuner or whatever, like everything is all like right where I would put it, which is it's so nice. You know, it's kind of like a chef having their station all set up with the knife and the mise en place and all these different things. Like 
that's how I think it is for me working in my home studio. And I'm sure for you working in your home studio as well, you need a Sharpie. It's right there. You need a piece of paper. It's right there. Like anything you could imagine. That Phone charger is always where you want it to be. Exactly. No one's taking it home and forgetting to bring it back. <laughs> or like dropping your microphone and you go in and it's busted and it doesn't work. No. Uh-uh. I've been so fortunate to talk to so many amazing guitar players. And I am shocked at the notion that people that are so good at their craft and at their instrument and like don't read music. Like Nuno Betancourt told me he can't read music. I almost fell on the floor. Dean DeLeo yeah. told me that when he writes songs, he just kind of feels his way through it until he finds the note that he wants. Yeah. Can you read music? Did you take lessons? How did this work for you? Yeah, I don't read music either. There are so many amazing musicians that like, uh, let me rephrase. I can read music, but so slowly that I would never work. You know, like I, I can like, I know in theory what the notes on the staff are and I can pick them out, um, but it would take so long and it would be, it's so much faster for me to learn something by ear or by tab that I did never really put the time in to properly learn music. Um, my best friend who's out here on tour with me, my keyboard player, she is Berkeley educated. She knows all the things. If there's ever a piece of a music question that I have, I can always go to her. So it's nice to have that resource. But I was totally self-taught. Like my dad taught me my first few chords and then I struck out on my own with some songbooks and instructional DVDs and stuff and just went and taught myself. What was the first song you remember playing and like rocking out with your guitar? Um, it was Lincoln Park, One Step Closer. And I remember very vividly because it's got that. I mean, there were other riffs that I might have learned for some Beatles or some Nirvana or something. But I remember when I learned Lincoln Park, One Step Closer, and there's this little harmonic bit in the main riff of the song that's like, it's not difficult, but for me as a beginner, it was like the, the hardest thing I ever learned. And I remember when I learned how to play that and I got it clean and I could play it right, I felt like I was the greatest guitar player in the world. <laughs> like I felt like a million bucks right there. Like, this is it for me. <laughs> I talked to Nancy Wilson and, you know, when it comes to women in rock and roll, right, there's, there's the Mount Rushmore and obviously the Wilson sisters are carved in granite. But I was really interested in her perspective from her generation of growing up as a woman that wanted to be a guitar player and, and to be good. And she talked about the work ethic. And I saw a tweet that you put up recently that someone asked you kind of how you got where you are and you cited always being on time always working really hard. Can you can you talk about the, the fight to kind of get to where you're at now? Yeah, you know, I think that guitar, just like anything else in life, really, you get out what you put in. And uh, just like sports or just like going to the gym or whatever it is, you know, there are a lot of things in life that people can, you know, slide their way in and make their way in a different way. But the thing that I love about music is you, whatever you put out is directly proportional to what you get back. So if you practice a lot, you'll get better. If you don't practice a lot, you're not going to be very good. And nobody can do it for you. You know, nobody can buy skill for you. Nobody can skip the line. Nobody can get out ahead. And that meant a lot to me because I grew up in a family with, that didn't have a lot. And so, and I went to a really affluent school. My mom's a teacher. So my sister and I went to a very, very affluent school and we didn't, you know, we had nothing, you know, we were, you know, basically kids of a single mom on a teacher's salary. 
um, watching all of our friends get Range Rovers for their birthdays and, you know, and I'm playing a, a $99 guitar that came with an amp, you know? Um, so that kind of instilled that fire in my sister and myself both that like, you know what, we might not have as many nice things as the people around us, but nobody will ever outwork us. Nobody's going to work harder than us to make our life the way that we want it. And, uh, and that's what I took into my music career as well. Like, again, there will be, there will always be play people with flashier gear or, you know, more expensive guitars or this or that, but that won't buy them stage presence or, you know, great songwriting or anything like that. So as long as you're willing to put the work in hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. And I've always believed that. Can you talk to me about your Mount Rushmore of guitar players? Obviously, throughout the lockdown, the guitar community has been reeling from the loss of Eddie Van Halen, which, you know, there there still has not been any kind of public memorial or anything, but just guitar players around the war the world just feeling this loss. So when you you as a guitar player looking at guitar players, who who's up there for you? Oh my gosh, it's so hard. You know, know. there's there's like and it's for Mount Rushmore needs reasons. like 30 or 40 spots. <laughs> um, but for me personally, I mean, Steve Vai would have to be up there because he, I think, was just such a game changer in the way that not only the technique of guitar was approached, but also style. You know, when you watch Steve Vai play guitar, it looks like fun. You know, he's got so much flash and so much charisma and so much technique. And, and I love that because it's it's so important you want you want guitar to be fun guitars it's called playing guitar you know it's playtime it's supposed to be fun um so the guitar players i like are like that steve Vai and satriani and paul gilbert marty friedman and uh the great jennifer batten i absolutely love you know i think every mount rushmore needs a female and jennifer batten is my mount rushmore female edition like she is the baddest ass girl out there doing it. You know, she, I remember seeing video of her playing at the Super Bowl with Michael Jackson. And like, that was my moment that I had somebody to identify with, you know, because, you know, Lita Ford was so beautiful and she was such a great singer. And like, she was so in that world. And all I wanted was the guitar part. You know, I wanted a Steve Vai or a Satriani. And I saw Jennifer Batten playing with Michael Jackson. And I was like, oh my God, like, it was like, you know, that's like, finding a Barbie that looks like you, you know, like that's, that's somebody that looks like me. That's doing what I want to do. She's playing on the biggest stage, shredding circles around any guy guitar player that I can think of playing with one of the biggest artists in the world. Like that's what I want to do. So Jennifer Batten for me would have to be up there as well. Well, you talk about representation and, you know, recently the active rock chart had three, I hate to use the term, but I'm going to use it. Female fronted rock bands in the top 10 with the pretty reckless and a hailstorm and evanescence and Lizzie Hale and Amy Lee were talking about the fact that this is for the next generation of women in rock to show girls, look, this is possible. And that's what you're talking about. Absolutely. And it's, you know, it's been such an exciting and actually my song is right up there. I think we're number 13 as well. So like, it's so exciting to be a small part of this wave of incredible female musicians, singers or guitar players or bass players or whoever is out there doing it and kicking ass and just being on this journey with everybody as we bring more female representation to mainstream music. During everything that's gone on, the guys from Disturbed were pretty quiet. You know, they released uh, um, graphic novels and whatever, but they weren't doing a lot. And then all of a sudden, this 
Dave Draymond, Nita Strauss song comes out and it's like, yes. Talk to me about how you had to navigate the difficulties of COVID to pull this thing off. Yeah, you know, we were in Nashville working on on the music for the record and we had this song written. And when we sat back and listened to it, um, everybody in the room thought, Dave Jeremy would sound amazing on this. Like, how how can we, you know, like we have to at least pass it by in. And my boyfriend Josh knows David really well. He knows him for many years. Uh, so he sent the song over to David, and David lives in Hawaii. And so we're in Nashville. He's in Hawaii. I was gonna like, say like different the, end zones, the like geography you know. is not easy here. Exactly. Um, and uh thankfully he loved it. You know, he got the vision right away. You know, his schedule was so crazy, he wasn't able to work on it immediately. But once he did have time to work on it, it came together like that. You know, I feel like he he sent us a text in the evening and said, Hey, I think I have something really cool. And then the next morning said, I want to FaceTime, like I want to show you guys what I have. And he was so pumped about it, and we were so pumped. Uh, and then we both ended up meeting in the middle. He flew from Hawaii and I flew from Nashville. You know, Josh and I flew into L.A. We met in L.A. to be there in person for the recording, which is so special. You know, it's it means so much more to be able to be there in person and make notes and make suggestions. And not that David needs many notes, you know, but even just to be there as part of the collaborative spirit of things and say, like, maybe try a harmony here or maybe add a syllable there or like little things like that. Uh, it's great to do it in person. So. Uh, I'm really, really grateful that with even with everything going on, we were able to shoot the music video in person. We were able to do the recording session in person. And uh, I think it just made the song all the better for it. When I talk to songwriters, everyone has their own process. And you as a guitar player and a songwriter, when you're writing a solo record and bringing in different singers and having them kind of bring their own lyrics melodies that's a different kind of dynamic than a band that's writing a whole record together can you talk to me about working with different singers on different tracks on the record yeah uh so david what did exactly what you just described he gave he gave us the lyrics he gave us the melody like i had very little input on what he did and he is so great at what he does. Like, what can I add to David Draymond doing David Draymond at his finest? You know, like what, what can I add except maybe some harmony suggestions, which is all I really did add. Um, and then there's some of the other songs on the album that, you know, I had much more of a hand in, in crafting the song and, you know, coming up with melody structure, um, coming up with some lyrics for the choruses and stuff. But either way, I still always did give whatever vocalist I worked with the option of writing song, like whether it's like, Hey, I came up with a chorus and stuff, but why don't you write the lyrics for the verse? Or, you know, I've got the first verse, you write the second verse. Or, you know, what do you think melody-wise? Is there something that would fit your voice better? I think it's always important to at least give the option of a collaboration. And some people wanted it and some people didn't. You know, some of the singers that I worked with said, cool, I like what you have. They went in the studio, they sang it exactly as I demoed it. And then that was that. And they sound amazing. And then there are other vocalists, you know, one in particular came to mind where um, a female vocalist that I worked with who I'm a huge fan of, uh, she said, I love it. Um, do you mind if I make some tweaks? And I was like, tweak away. And everything she did was amazing. This is a girl who's a very, very powerful lyrics lyricist. And the lyrics that she wrote just added so much on to what we had already come up with that uh, it was just so special. You know, the collaborative process, especially after my first album being really just me, um, really embracing the collaborative process the second time around is really exciting. 
You've been playing this really close to the vest and giving hints about some of the other people that are on the record, saying they are uh, your favorite vocalists. Are there any? Is there anything else you could tell us about who's on this record, Nita? Come on, or at least tell us when <laughs> you're going to tell us. Um, I will tell you that we've got half and half, so it's going to be half vocal songs and half instrumental. Um, I did feel, you know, and, and the label and everybody agreed, like it's still important for me to keep my identity as a guitar player and not just branch off too much and go, okay, well now it's just guests and, you know, like, let me still have a little of what makes me me, which is the instrumental shred stuff. Um, and the instrumental pieces that I've written for this record are, I think, better than anything I did on the first one. Um, definitely more, I mean, I don't know if it could be more emotional, but they're very emotional pieces of music and uh, I think a little better crafted this time around. Um, so I think all the songs in general are, are more well thought out, better put together this time around. And, uh, I do have some of my absolute favorite, you know, the, the girl that I referenced earlier is, you know, probably my favorite female vocalist. I've three amazing powerhouse female vocalists on this album so far. And, uh, there are still a couple things TBD and then, uh, we should be ready to release next spring. Can you talk to me about your guitar tone because every guitar player I talk to they they talk about how it's a, a signature thing and it yet it's got to be so hard as a guitar player with so many other great guitar players out there to to find your own lane can you talk to me about where you think your tone comes from yeah i think your your tone like your guitar tone is like almost like your tone of voice you know it has to express what you want it to express in the way that you want it. and like maybe even tone of voice isn't the right word it might be even like your vocabulary it might be like the words that you choose because you can't really choose your tone of voice but you can choose what words you use to express yourself and you know your tone your guitar tone is the way that you express yourself so for me I like my tone to be really smooth. I like a lot of gain. It's my tone's pretty aggressive, um, but I like it to be smooth. I don't like it to feel harsh in your ears, you know. Even though it's a lot of distortion, a lot of gain, and everything like that, um, I want it to be something that's kind of pleasant to listen to. Because especially in my solo music, you're listening to a lot of leads, <laughs> so it can't be too biting, too aggressive, too choppy of a sound because that's tough to listen to for an hour. <laughs> You know, so um, for me, it's just about having that balance between the smoothness of of the of the tone and the aggressive distortion as well. Do you agree that that at the end of the day, no matter what kind of effects or anything you run through it, that that it's your fingers too? thousand percent tone comes from your fingers first and foremost. And again, kind of goes back to what we were saying at the beginning of this conversation. You can have the most expensive gear, the most expensive amp, you know, all the, the bells and whistles and the pedals and the rack mount and whatnot, but none of that will play the guitar for you. At the end of the day, you still have to play all the notes, you know, and, uh, the best example I think I can give of that is, you know, uh, Loudwire does that Hello Kitty series with the Hello Kitty guitar. <laughs> I've played that guitar. It plays like awful. It's just the worst <laughs> guitar to play. Um, and I've seen videos of these guys playing it, Zach Wilde and, you know, the best guitar players in the world. And they play that guitar like it is a, you know, Japanese $5,000 collector's piece guitar. And uh, if that doesn't show you that tone is in your fingers, I mean, what else does? This guitar is a child's toy <laughs> and Zach Wilde makes it sing like nobody's business. So uh, absolutely. Tone is all first and foremost in the fingers. The other stuff helps, 
It can't yeah. hurt. Um, I had the opportunity to talk to Rob Caggiano from Volbeat, and he. Oh. So he talked to me about the process of designing a signature guitar. And for Ibanez, you are the first female guitar player. So talk to me about the process of designing your signature model. Oh, so exciting. Like just, I mean, the biggest honor of my life so far, honestly, because I've been an Ibanez fan since day one. I've been an an Ibanez artist now for 13 13, 14 years, you know, and since 2008. And so for 10 years, I was an Ibanez, regular Ibanez artist, no signature, and they had no female signature artists. And then in 2018, um, I had an amazing meeting with my artist rep and I said, and they said, congratulations, you're going to have the first uh, signature model for a female in the history of our company. And I cried, I cried right there at the table at lunch and I was so happy. And um, and so once, once I had calmed down, my A&R rep, Mike said, okay, well take your time, you know, think about what you might want. And if you can come up with an idea in the next couple of months, maybe we can have it ready for the NAMM show, which is the music convention that we all go to in the, in January. And I was like, oh, I know right now, like I was ready. I had been ready for this moment my whole life. <laughs> like <laughs> I had been thinking and, and nitpicking and what would I change and what would I add and what would I do different and what kind of wood would I use and what kind of pickups would I use and all these different things. So we sat down right there at the table with a, uh, it, I think it wasn't a napkin, it must've been on his laptop. I wish it had been a napkin, it'd be a better story, but I think he had his laptop there. And we designed what would be the Ibanez Jiva. And the first edition of the Jiva is exactly what we wrote out at that table. There were no changes. There were no spec differences. The one that I use on stage is identical to the one that is sold in the stores. There's no special model that I play that's not available to the public. Um, And I think that's really important, having something that you can stand behind and put your name behind and say, yeah, I can pull a Jiva off of any wall of any music store in the entire world, and it'll be exactly like my personal one. Did you learn anything about your instrument in the design process? Because, you know, Rob talked to me about, like, how many minute little details and decisions go into making your own guitar. He was like, it was crazy. Yeah, it's a lot. I learned more about wood than I ever thought I would. <laughs> like, you know, mahogany, marante, bubinga, like all of these different tone woods that, you know, like I go, oh, I like mahogany, you know? And they go, well, what kind of mahogany? You know, like, I was like, well, I don't know, mahogany, however, whatever mahogany my other guitars are, like, make it that. They're like, well, some of your guitars are marante, which is a type of mahogany. And then another one of your guitars are African mahogany. like. And there's so just like so many little nuances and like, to be perfectly honest with you, I don't hear any tone difference. I have two identical guitars, one with Marante body and one with African mahogany. There is tonally zero difference. They're the same weight. They sound exactly the same. You plug them into the same amp one after another, they're going to sound exactly the same, but that's a decision that you have to make. You know, do you want the African mahogany or do you want the Marante body? Like, like little things like that, these nuances that, you know, you don't realize until you really get into like, as you said, the nitty gritty of the design process. One of the other cool things about your career is that you have this partnership and this involvement with football. 
How did that happen? So I am a lifelong sports fan. You will find me playing at any sports game that will let me on the field for years and years and years. Um, But I am, like you said, I'm from L.A. I love the Dodgers. I will even watch L.A. Galaxy football, uh, soccer if I have to. Um, And uh, so when the Los Angeles Rams came back to L.A., um, I was so excited to like find some way to work with them in some capacity. So the first time I played for the Rams was at the Salute Service game, which I think maybe was 2019, first or second season back in the Coliseum. Um, so I played America the Beautiful at the Coliseum, which was really fun. Um, and then I, I think the following year, so maybe that would have been 2018, then the following season, 2019, I came back to the Coliseum and I played the Sunday Night Football theme, which was really fun because that's just basically Carrie Underwood doing Joan Jett. You know, if you hear the Sunday Night Football theme, it's I hate myself for loving you, but like with lyrics about football. So um, so that was really fun. That's right up my alley. And the fans loved it. The players loved having, you know, the energy and the hype in the stadium. So then the Rams approached us and said, well, look, you fit in so well with our team. Why don't we make you a permanent part of the entertainment now that we're moving to the new stadium at SoFi? So we have myself, we have an amazing DJ, DJ Malski, who tours with Stevie Wonder and like some of the biggest of the big artists he works with. Uh, And we have a mariachi band, Mariachi Rams, which they do mariachi versions of popular songs, rock songs or hip hop songs or whatever. Uh, And it's just an overall fun experience. You know, it makes the vibe really cool. I think the stadium is unlike any other. The entertainment is unlike any other. And it just makes coming to a game at SoFi that much more interesting. Well, growing up and being a lifelong Boston sports fan, we're kind of known for our craziness when it comes to sports. Yeah. We would love to see you play out here at a game as well, if that would ever be allowed and not make you burst into flames as an L.A. sports fan. I don't know how I would do over at Foxborough. It looks cold. (laughs) Give me the California sunshine. Um, Before I let you go, I, I ask this question of songwriters because I am so envious of the actual skill and ability of songwriting, which I do not have. Um, Any genre, any artist, it doesn't matter. This is a songwriting question. Can you give me an example or two of something you consider perfect songwriting, a song that is so well-crafted you covet it and wish that you wrote it? But I want you to talk about why it is that you think it's such a good song. Yeah. So the first one that pops into my mind when you say that is November Rain. Um, and I think, and this is normally my what's your favorite guitar solo answer, but it also works for a perfectly crafted song because I think a great song takes you on a journey, you know, and it has to have the peaks and valleys. It's like a roller coaster. You know, nobody wants to get on a roller coaster and have it just go straight the whole time. You know, that's the most boring roller coaster. <laughs> the roller coaster needs to start you here and then you go to the top and then you need to drop and then you need to go up and go around the loop and the whole end needs to take you on a ride. Uh, and I think a great song takes you on a ride like that um, and gives you those peaks and valleys. And the first song that popped into my head when you were describing that was November Rain, because it really, it takes you on that journey and you feel like you're right there with them, you know, and you understand the story of the song. So that's the first one that popped into my mind. Speaking of guitar tone, I mean, slash. The best, the best. So recognizable. I think a great guitar player, you can tell it's them without knowing it's them. And Slash is definitely in that category. I was fortunate enough to have Alice on the show. And I am 
a psychopath fan of the Muppets. From the time I was a kid, I have loved the Muppets, and Alice was the first person I had on the show that could actually speak about what it was like to work with Henson and be on the original Muppet show. And you're in his hometown right now. I know you're going to see him. So, Nita, I'm just going to ask this favor of you. I asked Alice what it was like to be on The Muppet Show, and he went into this amazing detail. It fulfilled my soul that it was as wonderful as he said. And he said that every year on his birthday, they still send him these little porcelain, like, Muppet figurines that he still gets. How cute. And I need them, Nita. So will you please... (laughs) Will you please sneak into Alice's house for me and just tell him you're going to the bathroom and I don't know where he keeps them, but can you just steal me one? And steal his Muppet birthday present. Yes! I, you know what? I that them. is, I, If I was going to be anywhere near his actual house and I wasn't stuck on a 15-foot tour bus that I don't know how to drive, I would be all over it for you. And if you don't want to steal them, because I know he's your boss and you love the gig and you don't want to get fired, can you just take a picture? Because I was like, wait a minute, what? You have, like, these exclusive Muppet figurines, Alice? Like, what? And I was losing my mind, and I need to know what they look like. Okay, if... I don't know when I will next be at his house, and again, I don't think anybody wants me driving this thing around, but... (laughs) We'll remember that because his house is so amazing. His house, the the way it's decorated and the way it's laid out, like his house is incredible. So next time I'm perusing around all of his stuff in his amazing house, I will keep an eye out for some Muppet figurines to send you a picture of. I mean, I heard that he found and like a $3 million dollar post, like painting in his garage that he forgot Andy Warhol gave him. So it sounds like he's got a lot of cool stuff. He has a lot of cool stuff and they did like a big, they've been in the same house, uh, I think for like 30, 40 years and they did a big remodel on the house recently and it just looks like, I I wish that I could afford their interior decorator because their house is just so amazing. It's so stylish. It's exactly like, it's exactly what you would imagine like someone like Alice Cooper would live. You know, it's, it's dark, it's macabre, but it's like very stylish as well. It's not like just a bunch of Halloween store shit, you know, like (laughs) it's very, like it's very stylish, but it's also like a lot of black and red, very classy. Like it's, it's a beautiful home. They did a beautiful job. Well, obviously he's got those highbrow Muppet collectibles that are hanging around. So it's very, I will keep an eye out for them. Yes. Well, um, I cannot wait for you to be able to release this album and most importantly for this tour to roll through Boston. Any idea on your plan for 2022? Yeah, we are going to be doing a ton of work in 2022. I have some more solo dates booked already and I know some Alice dates just came out as well. I'm sure there will be more and more and more added. Um, I know right now I'm booked through the summer of next year, so a great feeling to know that we're going to be working you know god willing nothing changes that and we're able to get back out there on the road and see everybody that we missed on the last run thank you so much for coming on the show today it was i was so psyched when i found out you were coming on because i just am so happy that we're at this point now where there it seems like rock music is in this new renaissance and there's so much amazing new music coming out and i'm just so excited for next year Thank you so much. Thank you for having me on. It's been it's been so much fun being on this ride the last however many years it's been. And it's just I'm excited to see what comes next.
I'll let you get back to it and um, enjoy your time tonight in Phoenix. And I will talk to you soon. Thank you so much. There she is, the one and only Nita Strauss. If you want to find her on social, if you want her website to get more details about Body Shred or anything else, just check out the links in the show notes of this podcast. I put it all up there for you. There's also a corresponding playlist linked on every full-length episode of the Mistress Carrie podcast to make it easier for you to find all of the music that we talked about, including the first single from our upcoming solo album, Featuring David Draymond from Disturbed, the track is called Dead Inside, and it rocks. You'll also find all of my links in the show notes as well. And if you liked what you heard, don't forget to subscribe and follow to the Mistress Carrie podcast so you don't miss anything. New full-length episodes come out every Wednesday, and every weekday you get the sit rep. The Situation Report is all of your rock news, music headlines, and industry info in less than five minutes. And thanks to our sponsor, Digital Federal Credit Union at dcu.org. You can check out the official online Mistress Carrie store at mistresscarrie.com. And Joe's Albums in Northampton and Worcester, Mass. also carries my merch as well. Join me live every Tuesday night at 8.30 Eastern for my video show, Cocktails in the War Room. The Mistress Carrie Podcast, a proud member of the Pantheon Podcast Network. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.